Hello, and welcome to the Physical Preparation Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Robertson, and I'll be joined on the line later today by the incomparable, the only Jay Chung. Now, before we get into this week's show, I'm going to warn you right now, I'm going to make this short and sweet. It's Monday night, Labor Day weekend. It's been a very, very long weekend in the best of ways, but man, I got an early day tomorrow, so I'm going to make sure I knock this out and try and stay on target. So let me give you a recap of the week that was first. Awesome, awesome weekend, starting with Saturday. The team from IFAST, or about half of us, paired with Team Robertson. We thought it would be an awesome idea to go down to Lucas Oil Stadium because Ball State, my alma mater in college, was playing IU. So this is a great time for about the first two, two and a half hours, at which point Cade decided he was kind of bored and he was ready for the game to be over with. So definitely realize that a college football game is a long, long time for a five-year-old to sit, especially one with Cade's energy level. So awesome time. Unfortunately, the chirp chirp, which is what we call Ball State, we say chirp chirp, we lost, couldn't pull it out, but it was a fun game, fun time. Actually stayed downtown for dinner and went to one of our favorite restaurants called The Eagle. If you are ever in downtown Indianapolis, you've got to try this place out. I probably only eat fried chicken two to three times a year, but one of them at least is going to be at The Eagle because it's that good. So awesome dinner, came home, chilled. Sunday, uh, actually worked a little bit. You know, we're in the home stretch for all of these NBA guys. Like Keelan, he reported today, Monday. Glenn reports next Monday. Dakota's going to report the week after that. So we're in the home stretch. And if I got to work a little extra to make sure these guys are fit and they feel ready when they go to camp, I'm going to do it. So took Glenn Sunday morning, came home, changed. And then Glenn's brother, Jalen, uh, was actually having a birthday party for his one-year-old baby girl, Rain. She is the cutest thing. And so I took Kendall, had a great time, got to meet some of their family, got to support them. And just so awesome to see young men like Glenn, like Jalen, that want to be good dads, that want to be supportive of their children. So awesome time there. But not to leave Cade out of the equation, I came home, dropped Kendall off, and then took Cade to the arcade. And man, this guy, he just loves video games. He It's like his favorite thing to go to the arcade. So I thought his head was going to pop off when I got home. But arguably my proudest moment was when he was just totally gaming so hard playing pinball. Now, if you haven't been to an arcade in a while, it's a lot different, at least than when I was growing up, because it was just arcade games and pinball games. Well, now it's all like these games of chance and skill, and you win tickets and you get prizes. Like, that's all fine and dandy, but I love just the old school arcade games. So I'm playing Street Fighter. I'm playing, you know, the Guardians of the Galaxy pinball or the Star Wars pinball with him. So that was a really proud moment for me is how much he enjoyed that. And then today, kind of played it low-key, went and saw the new, in air quotes, (laughs) Spider-Man. I know that came out like two or three months ago now, but we hadn't seen it. So I took the kids to see it today. Absolutely loved it. We had basically an entire IMAX theater to ourselves. I think there were seven people in this entire theater, but awesome movie. So now I feel like I'm caught up on all the Avengers stuff. And, you know, a little bit of grilling today. We actually doubled up, cooked some burgers for tonight, and then batch cooked about eight chicken breasts so that I've got just a cornucopia of food and healthy eating for the week. So that is the week that was. Um, the content train is rolling, still dropping videos, new podcasts. As always, thank you so much for your support with the podcast. The The show has just really 
kind of boomed these last couple months. And it's because people like you, you know, showing your support, sharing it with your friends, your loved ones, other trainers and coaches. So I truly appreciate that. The complete coach cert, man, that thing's dropped. It done dropped. <laughs> and it's just crazy to think about because, you know, people ask, oh, well, you know, how long have you been working on this? Well, I mean, in, in honesty, my whole life, right? 20 years of experience, probably over $100,000 invested in continuing education. But I really got serious about this about two years ago. Just started thinking back, okay, like what did I like about physical prep? What did I not like? What did I need to change? And so it started two years ago where I started like just jotting notes down and thoughts and ideas. I got really serious about it six months ago when I put on the calendar for three months down the line, you know, this is in March, I said, June 30th, Paul, you're meeting me at iFast and we're shooting this thing and we're getting it done. So that created a huge moment of, of urgency and it gave me a deadline to shoot for. And then even once that was done, I still had another two months of work on the back end, whether it was sales materials, support materials, emails that I had to write. So just super excited to get that out the door. The response has been absolutely phenomenal. Um, you know, I've done a small like internal launch for previous buyers, people that had bought physical prep and just really, really excited to see the response and see the enthusiasm from people that have already bought it. So super excited about that. And then, you know, I was going to do like a deep thought for the week, but I don't think I'm going to belabor this point too much. Uh, I'm going to give you a short story, a short snippet into our life and a a conversation that I have, have had with both kiddos now, and then hopefully it's just something that will inspire you today and make you smile at some random stranger or something like that. So something that is really hard, especially for our kiddos, because I feel like we try and raise them the right way. We try and raise them to be honest, to, to give them insight as to how to treat other people, to think about how other people feel and how how they treat other people can impact how they feel, right? It's a cause and effect type thing. So one thing that Kendall has, has struggled with in the past is it's really confusing to her when somebody is her friend one day and then maybe on another day that person isn't friendly to her or is like telling secrets to another friend and keeping secrets from her. And she really struggles with that, you know, because she's a very sweet girl. She's very kind of direct. You know, if she doesn't like what you're doing, she'll tell you she's yeah, I love that about her, right? Like I wish I had her strength at eight years old. And so something similar came up today with Cade. You know, a couple of days ago, you know, he's the youngest kid on the block, basically. And he wants to hang out with kids his age, but he also wants to run with some of the older boys that, you know, are one, two, three years older than him, just because they're always out and they're active. So a couple of days ago, he was out and he's got these Pokemon cards and he's trading them and, you know, really getting along great with one of these boys down the street. So then tonight, this boy is in like a group and now, you know, they're kind of being mean to him and like indirectly picking on him. And I'm sitting there and Jess and I are kind of watching it. And so it's just hard, you know, because at five or eight or whatever age it is, it's hard to understand. Like, you know, sometimes people don't always act the way that they should, or they don't always treat you the way that you should. So again, it's not really a deep thought, but more of like a motivational message, like just do your best every day to go out in the world and be a good human. When I was growing up, I didn't always have some of the best people around me. I had people that either took advantage of me or that kind of preyed on the fact that I was nice. 
and that I cared a lot about people. And so I'm at a point now where I can see that and I can reflect on that and, and I've moved on, right? At 41 years old, that doesn't bother me anymore. But, you know, just go out in the world and do your best to be a good human, to take great care of the people that are around you, the people that do love you and support you. And man, that's what it's all about, right? Whether it's the people that you're closest to, whether it's the people you train, your athletes, your clients, doesn't matter. Go out in the world, be a good human, or even just the person that serves you your coffee today. Smile at them, tell them thank you. I mean, you would be shocked at how far that goes in our world today. So that's that's my little motivational message. Rah, rah, go out in the world, be a good human, and we're gonna take a quick break, and then we're gonna jump into the show with the amazing Jay Chung. It seems like every day I talk to a young trainer or coach who is frustrated. Maybe they're frustrated with the results they're getting. Maybe they're frustrated because they don't have trusted resources to learn from. And maybe they're frustrated because they simply don't have enough clients and wonder how long they'll be able to stay in our industry. So if this sounds anything like you, I've got something that I know will help. My Complete Coach Certification was created for trainers and coaches just like you, who are serious about the results they get and know that becoming a better trainer or coach can directly translate to a bigger bottom line. This certification is gonna take the last 20 years of my life's work and put it all into one massive course. In it, you'll learn how to use the R7 system to create seamless, integrated, and efficient programs for clients and athletes of all shapes and sizes. How to create the culture, environment, and relationships with everyone you train so you can get the absolute best results and the exact progressions, regressions, and coaching cues I use in the gym, from squatting and deadlifting to pressing and pulling and everything in between. Of course, there's a ton more that I cover, but that should give you a pretty good idea of what the certification is all about. Now here's the thing, spots for the certification will open twice per year for a limited time only. If you're interested in learning more, my next certification will launch in September. And if you join my free insiders list, you'll be able to save $200 off the standard price when it opens. To get on the insiders list, head over to completecoachcertification.com. Again, completecoachcertification.com, and then stay tuned for our launch emails that'll be coming very soon. Thanks so much for your support, and I hope you'll pick up a copy of the Complete Coach Certification when it launches. Jay Chung worked as a coach at IFAST for seven years, coaching mostly general population and fat loss clients. Before working at IFAST, Jay taught martial arts, primarily Tai Chi, English in the Peace Corps, and tutored writing to undergraduates and graduate students at Indiana University and also taught violin lessons. Jay is currently enjoying a temporary retirement as a stay-at-home dad to two children under the age of three. In this show, Jay and I cover a ton of ground, starting with how his most elite athletic skill growing up was typing fast, what he means when he says you can't bat a thousand, his thoughts on effective versus ineffective cues, and why a pivotal moment in his life was when he stopped worrying about looking smart and instead focused on becoming smarter. Now I'm going to let you know the audio for the first two to three minutes is a bit shaky, but after that, you're in for some real coaching gold. But enough for me, let's do this. All right, Jay, man, thank you so much for coming on the show here today. Super excited to catch up with you a little bit. Could you start by just telling us a little bit about yourself? Well, thank you, first of all, for having me. It's an honor. I grew up all over the States. I actually was born in Korea and then moved to the States 
at the age of five, both my parents are professors and they were like getting their PhDs in different schools. So I grew up in Chicago and Milwaukee and Madison and Berkeley. Oh, wow. And then I ended up at, yeah, at IU in Bloomington. So I'm from all over and, you know, son of two professors, I was pretty bookish and nerdy. My <laughs> main athletic accomplishment is typing really fast. <laughs> so I have a little bit different career path to the fitness industry than a lot of your listeners, I'm guessing. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I, I would, I would love to hear that because, you know, obviously you are in fitness now and, and this has been a huge part of your life. So how did you originally get into the world of physical preparation? Well, if I'm being honest, it's probably because I dated a D1 volleyball player in, in college. Okay. And she was like, she could bench press more than I could. <laughs> so that's probably the, the honest answer. Yeah. The long answer is that I somehow stumbled into martial arts when I was in college. And I was, like I said, I was really not good at sports. Like you probably know a little bit of my history. Like I have these vision issues where I don't have, I don't have real depth perception. And so obviously hitting a ball in any kind of, real sport is difficult for sure um so somehow when i found martial arts it was like wow this is something physical that i can get into and so i did hapkido and tai chi at at iu bloomington and there's like a huge martial arts program there and it was awesome and i was like the first thing that first physical thing that i was like wow this is this is fun and i can get relatively good at it and so i was teaching martial arts for like a number of years just like as an assistant and I loved it and I loved teaching people how to move better. But then as I started going to the gym and people were like, Hey, you do martial arts. Like you understand the body. Like, can you help me with my squat? And <laughs> obviously I didn't know anything. I, I, I didn't actually know anything, but I thought I knew stuff. Right. Which is like the golden period of like confidence. Yeah. So I would tell them all the stuff and they would come back in like three weeks and be like, man, my knee doesn't hurt anymore. Thank you so much. So I kind of fell into the fitness industry by accident because in the martial arts, if you get real serious about it, it takes probably between two and 10 years to right. get to a level where you're like, I'm, I'm good. Whereas in the fitness industry, you can take someone who's never squatted or deadlifted or did a push-up. Like I, I had, you know, 65-year-old female clients all the time who had never worked out in their lives and you can get them moving better in three sessions. Yep. And so that was very gratifying. And I started reading more about, like I started reading your blog when I was like grad student at IU in philosophy. And then basically I loved the fitness stuff so much that I dropped out of the philosophy grad school program and ended up as an intern at, I, at IFAST. That's awesome, man. I love it. <laughs> so, so, so take us from that point in time to where you're at now. I mean, like kind of fill in those dots of being a grad student to... You know, being a, a stay-at-home trophy husband at this point. Right, right. That's right. I've I've achieved the American dream. <laughs> so I, I loved the fitness stuff so much, and then you know I applied to be. Actually, I was a client at iFast first. Yes. I found iFast. I found you and Bill Hartman, and came in for an assessment. I was blown away, and then I drove up like ninety minutes once a week to work out. And then I realized, wow, I really don't know anything. And at this point, you have to understand, like, CrossFit was hitting its craze, like it was at its peak. And so I actually had a little garage gym where I would run, like, CrossFit-type boot camps. And I had probably 10 clients or something. Yep. And 
there were a couple clients that had like a broken wrist or some orthopedic issues that, you know, all I knew how to do was like work them into the ground and they loved it. Like they, they had a lot of fun, but I didn't know how to deal with these specific issues. And I had issues of my own from doing CrossFit, like my back hurt and my shoulder hurt and all this stuff. So when I came at the iFast and Bill gave me this assessment and it was like, well, you have some asymmetries and that's what's driving all of your problems. And my, like my jaw dropped, right? It was just like nine years ago. Right. And, you know, it was like the first time I'd ever heard of it. So then I dropped everything at IU and came up to be an intern. And it has been a long process of gradually understanding more and more that I don't know anything. Yes. Like, <laughs> like the first two years that I was at IFAST as a coach, I was like, I'm an awesome coach. I know so much. This is great. Right. And the last five years has been terrible. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Bill Hartman. That's like yeah, every day you show up to work and you realize how little you know. And you're like, damn, yes. I'm never going to get yes. this figured out. But So here's where I want to start with this. Let's just cut to the chase. What does it mean to, quote, flirt with your clients, unquote? <laughs> okay. So in 2015, I gave this presentation at the Physical Prep Summit, and I somewhat provocatively titled it, like, How to Flirt with Your Clients Talk. And, you know, that got a laugh. But what I really meant is, you know, that, that's like flirting is how you treat people that you really like. Mm -hmm. And the only difference in the fitness industry is I hope you're not trying to get your clients into bed with you. <laughs> but right. Other than that, like flirting is, you know, teasing people because you know they can handle it and they tease you back because they like you and your friends. Right. Or it's just a way of interacting with people that shows them that you care, you like them, you want them to feel comfortable, you want them to feel like they belong. It's something that I got passionate about because I really sucked at it at first, you know, being the son of two professors and having books for friends like I was not. <laughs> <laughs> a social animal. Right. And also seeing all the interns come in, you know, are like at, at iFast, a lot of the interns are male. A lot of them are young. A lot of them are good at video games and sports, but not necessarily at talking to 70 year old women, women. Who, yes. have, yeah, who have never been in the gym. So I just wanted to like share with the interns kind of like what I discovered worked for me in terms of how to build rapport, how to get comfortable, and how to make your clients feel comfortable. <laughs> right. I, I just love it. And and now that you're talking about this, I'm, I'm just reliving certain moments that we have had in the gym together. <laughs> but there's like some of the, the things like the way we take it is it's non-sexual flirting, you know, and just like, <laughs> hey, putting it out there. But then sometimes you get something back and you're like, oh, Okay, uh, that that went farther than I would have expected. But that's true. That's true. Sometimes that's not always on the intern or the coach. <laughs> yeah, Sometimes yeah, that does happen. But it's just such a great point because, like, I think of it as when when you describe that, I thought this is so eloquent because, like you said, it's it's you know interacting, it's being funny, it's being engaging, right? Yeah. It's like like just like you would flirt with somebody that you're interested in in a sexual manner. This is. We're, it's just a non-sexual way uh, of doing that. It's taking all those skills so that, you know, ultimately, like you said, these people feel, they feel warm. They feel welcome. Like this is a place where they belong. And ultimately, at the end of the day, you know this as well as I do, in the private sector, they have to come, they want to, they have to want to come work with you. 
Right, right. If right. they don't come back, you don't make money and they don't get better. Absolutely. And, you know, there was a line in the presentation that that I said something like, you know, I'll flirt with anybody. I'll flirt with your grandma. I'll flirt with your babies. <laughs> you know, and what I meant, what I meant by that is like, you know, if you like if someone comes in with their like 10 month old baby and you make the baby smile or laugh, that's what I would consider the kind of flirting that I'm talking about. You know, Absolutely. you make you make a grandma feel good about the way that she looks or like the fact that she's doing push-ups from two notches lower on the rack than she did last week. That's flirting to me. Yes. Yes. And sometimes too, it's just, it's being present and noticing the person in front of you, right? You know, in this, in this age of distraction and shiny objects, it's like really being present with that person. And like you said, oh, wow. Like to you, you may think, oh, whatever, I'm trying to squat 500 a day, but for Nisa or, you know, Susan, whoever's in the gym at that point, if they drop their p- incline push-up down three notches, like that's a huge accomplishment that's for them. That's a big deal. Yes. Right. That's so a you, huge deal. you recognize them and you notice them. So I love that. Another thing that I know you and I are both ob- obsessed with is this idea of creating relationships and rapport with our clients and athletes. And, you know, as I like to describe it, it's called being a good human being, Right. right. But along those same lines, what are some things that you did or that you do when you're trying to forge stronger bonds or stronger relationships with your clients? Well, I like that you call it being a good human being because that's essentially what it is and being present. You know, you talked mm-hmm. about that. It's it's really like I can I've read like all these books and blogs and watched these videos on how to build rapport and they say stuff like you got to smile you got to use their name a lot you got to <laughs> touch them on the shoulder and like yes that's kind of right but like i don't know if you've ever seen the person who has no clue what they're doing but then tries to do these things yes like they seem like real creepy yeah <laughs> like a serial killer <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. right exactly right so <laughs> the problem with all these methods and techniques and tricks is that if you don't understand the core of it, which is you have to actually care about the person in front of you yes, and you have to be present for them and you have to be thinking about, man, what does this person need right now? Mm-hmm. What is What can I do to make their day better? What do they need in terms of encouragement? Or maybe they don't need encouragement. They need like a, a come to Jesus moment. But the the way you engage with them is just based on the fact that you want the best for them and you have a certain amount of expertise in the fitness industry that can guide their next decisions or their next steps or their next exercise or the way they do the next exercise. And then it's your job to just give that to them in a way that benefits that person. But it's not like I'm going to use this technique so that this person will like me. It's more like I'm going to think about the world from this person's perspective. Mm -hmm. How do they see the world? And that's how you understand that for this particular client, you know, that, that push up from three notches down is a big deal Yep. because to you, it, it it may not be a big deal because you've been doing, doing 50 pushups from the ground for 20 years. Right. But if you don't think about the world from that person's eyes, then you can do all these tricks and it's not going to make any difference. Yeah, it's such a great point. And it's something I think a lot of times as young trainers, we struggle with, right? I just did a solo podcast about this a while back, but it's so hard when your life revolves around fitness, right? Like as a trainer or a coach, especially when you're young, like 
You're in the gym all day because you're training people. You love being in the gym because you love working out. You want to be fit, so you eat all the right foods. It's like everything about your life revolves around fitness. So sometimes it's really hard and there's this disconnect between you and your client when you're like, well, why did you skip your workout today? Like that's mind blowing to you, right? Right, Or, right? Or like, why did you eat a whole pizza on Friday night? Like we can't relate to them. So I think this is definitely something where if you're in this industry and this is your sole purpose in your sole world, it really behooves you to, to kind of go through this, this mindset or go through this example of, hey, man, really put yourself in this person's shoes. What does their day feel like? You know, what are their relationships like? What is their work life like? And then you can really start to have better perspective as to why they're maybe not as successful as you feel like they should be. Right. I totally agree with that. And I think the thing that made me a much better person and a better coach is becoming a dad mm-hmm. to like with yes. my first kid and my second kid. Yeah, like, me too. Now I understand why somebody would skip like three workouts or, or 12 workouts in a row. It's like, you yeah. know what? I didn't have that the energy for that either. And just having a little empathy and, and being in that situation myself, like I, I'm a much more, I'm a much less judgmental person. Yes. And I I try really hard to see why and how they think. Yeah. Yeah. I think unless you're just like this massively empathetic 20 year old, when you're in your, when you're in your twenties, it's just really hard. And like, as soon as you maybe get into your thirties or you have children, you have other responsibilities outside of yourself and maybe your significant other, all of a sudden it's a heck of a lot easier to be empathetic and have an understanding as to what people have going on outside of the gym. Right. Absolutely. And I think, you know, for like the 22 year old male interns and coaches that we've had, there's two problems. One is maybe they're not empathetic, but mm-hmm. the other one is also that they're like really insecure. Yes. So yes. they're so focused on themselves. Like, oh my God, am I giving the right cue? Am I seeing the right thing? Am I saying the right thing? Do they like me? Um, yes. Is Mike watching me in the gym? <laughs> like, like right. they're so focused on themselves that it takes, I don't know, it probably takes at least two years of yeah. just like coaching day in and day out before you can kind of relax and be like, man, Mike's in the gym and he's watching me, but it's okay. I got this. Right. Like, maybe, maybe I'm screwing up something, but he'll come and tell me later and that's okay. Yes. So then you can stop focusing on yourself and actually focus on the human being in front of you and be present. Yes. No. So it's, it's like, I don't, sometimes I feel like it, it doesn't matter what I tell the interns. They just need to like grow up like two, three, four years. <laughs> right. Yeah. But you just try and, yeah. you try and give them some feedback. You try and steer yeah. them in the right direction. But yeah. yeah, you're right. When you're so focused on what's going on with you, it's impossible to give the client the experience that they're really craving, you know? Right, right. You can't be present. And, and when we give feedback, it's like you can accelerate that progress that process for them, but you can't like fix it really. Absolutely. So I think at this point, many of us know that we should ask open-ended questions to get our clients to open up and to, to share with us a little bit more freely. But what if you have like Stonewall Jackson standing in front of you and you're just getting zero feedback? Do you have any thoughts on how to save that session or maybe break that person down? <laughs> I, I actually don't know. I feel like, you know, every, like you can't bat a thousand you know, right. you're going to have some of those and maybe you can't save every session, but I would say if you're having like a lot of those, then maybe the problem is you. Like mm-hmm. if you have like one in, once in a while, then maybe it's the other person. And so I used to worry about this a lot more when I was 
younger and more insecure. And I was like, why, man, why don't they like me? Like, what can I do? And now that I'm a little bit older, I think I'm a little more at peace with the idea that not every client is going to click with you anyway. Yeah. You do everything that you can. So you try to find things that you can relate to them about. Like having kids is awesome because especially for the people that I coached, which was mostly general population people, fat loss people, 40 to 90 years old. And, you know, they all have kids. And so that was like a godsend because that's instant bonding. You're like, you're in the club. And I didn't any idea of what it meant to be in the club until you're in the club. Mm -hmm. It's like fight club, man. You parents like don't talk about it. Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever. That's um, like all you talk about is your kids. A lot of times I feel like. Yeah, that's true. But that's, but you don't talk about it with the people, the like twenty-two-year-olds. Oh don't, yeah, kids who because they have no clue, right? Do, and let, they don't understand anyway. Yeah, like you probably did tell me, and I just didn't. It didn't register. <laughs> right. So that was that's helpful, but sometimes like it's it's not going to help. Like, and I think it goes back to trying to understand the world f- from this person's perspective in front of you. Like, you don't know what they're going through. Yep. Like I've had clients that were literally diagnosed with stage four cancer or their spouse was dying of terminal illnesses. I, you know, like people who are stressed out about their jobs or their kids or their family or whatever. And maybe they're just going to have a bad session in front of you and you have to be okay with that. And, and you do everything that you can, but yes. realize that it, it may not be your fault. Yes. And you never really know like how people react. Cause I've had clients who were like super friendly to me and then I find like find out they're like complaining about me to you or to Bill. Sure. And then I've had the opposite where like this client would just like frown through the whole session and just like <laughs> give me nothing. And then they were like effusive with praise about me. Yeah. To my colleagues or to to you and Bill. So like you just don't know. It's it's okay to have a session where you feel like it's not going perfectly as long as they come back, you try it again, and then it sometimes it takes, you know, three to six sessions or three to six years for you to build a relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And well, first off, it's amazing advice that you can't bat a thousand. I think as as a lot of coaches were like people pleasers, right? Yes. And we want to we yes. want to create connections. So that's really important to hear because some people just don't want a connection, as hard as that is to hear. Right. But I think this is something that, and I know even though we did group training at iFast, sometimes it ends up being one-on-one and I did one-on-one. And I think, you know, one-on-one gets shunned a lot in our industry these days. But man, if you want to figure out how to communicate with people and how to create relationships with people that you maybe have very little in common with, one-on-one is a great way to do that. It's a great time to hone your people skills because, I mean, I always joke around when I did in-home. There was no longer minute in the world than the one minute rest period with somebody that you have nothing in common with. Yes. You know, it's like I've had that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And literally it's like 20 seconds and it feels like 20 minutes. You're like, oh, my gosh, how are we going to get through the next 40 seconds? Yeah. So let's let's divert for a minute and talk about queuing, because I know that's something that you are also very passionate about. So in your mind, what makes an effective or ineffective cue. Okay, I'm going to answer this in two ways. So for athletes, you absolutely need them to move better in the gym, but you also need them to move better on the field or on the court. And yep. so your cueing has to be set up to make them move better. Like it's not about how much you know, 
It's not about like your catchphrases that work. It's about what works for the athlete. And your cue has to be short. It has to be unambiguous. So it has to mean the right thing and it has to be at the right time. Mm-hmm. And so you're just basically trying to give them the minimum input necessary for them to do the thing better or to learn how to move better on their own and then get out of the way. Yep. Whereas for me, it's like actually a little bit easier in the general population because my cues over time, especially in the last two years, were not short and they were not super clear all the time, but they were always designed to make my clients laugh. <laughs> so yes, I need my clients to move better and, and, but I really need them to have fun. Yep. And so I would give longer and longer, like more weird cues. I'll share <laughs> some of them in a second, but like it's totally different from coaching a serious athlete who needs to be able to snatch better or cut faster or whatever it is. Yeah. That's awesome. So now I'm really going to put you on the spot because again, I love your cues and I know I've stolen some of them myself. So give us three to five of your favorite cues and then maybe some insight as to why they're so effective. Okay. Well, I think I'm most known for the Michael Jackson cue, at least at iFast, maybe, yes. maybe elsewhere. And the story behind that one is, you know, it's like posterior pelvic tilt, but I was coaching this 40-something-year-old French lady <laughs> who was a chronic pain patient. Yes. Like, I can't even call her like a gym client. She was a patient. Yes. And just a horrible mover. Like, I love her to death, but just <laughs> not move well. And I was trying to get her to like roll her hips, tuck your hips, whatever, like pull up your belt buckle, like nothing worked. And finally, out of desperation, I said, you know, like Michael Jackson. And I did the little motion Mm -hmm. and she looks at me and her eyes light up and she goes, ah, yes, 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 yes. You are true. (laughs) And she did it. And it was amazing. Yeah. And so from that moment on, everything that every time I wanted to post your pelvic tilt, it was Michael Jackson. And yeah. it's weird because, like, if you look at Michael Jackson dance, like, he's, like, crunching down really hard. And what I really wanted is just a little posterior pelvic tilt. But you just demonstrate it, and no client has ever called me out on it. So right. it has – the only time it's failed is when there's, like, a 14-year-old who's never actually seen Michael Jackson dance. Right. So that's, like, a, a cue that I would use with everybody. The next two, I would say, are mostly for general population. So – the one that I like the best out of everything I've ever come up with is push me away like all of the other women in my life. (laughs) (laughs) And so this one you might use, you know, when you're doing a push up and you put your hand on their upper back and you want them to protract fully Mm -hmm. or you want them to reach. It's, it's great for reaching. Yeah. Or it's good for like the bottom position of a deadlift. Yeah. Where you want, I put my hand basically at the top of the sacrum yeah, and another hand on, on the upper back. And I want them to push me away so that the whole, the tor- the hips and shoulders come up at the same time. Yes. But instead of saying hips and shoulders up at the same time, which is technically correct, but very like it, it's cognitively demanding for them to think yes. about. If you just put your hands there and say, push me away, then they tend to execute it correctly. And because you're giving them the tactile feedback of which hand or is getting too much pressure. Right. So give them three reps and they figure it out. And then that that line always gets a laugh. Yes. So, and then the last one is like I've said, like, 
here's a taser or Ebola needle. <laughs> the Ebola dagger. needle was always one of my favorites. Yeah, yeah. And so that was popular for a while. It's kind of passe now, the Ebola needle. But the taser is always timeless. So, you know, yes. that's for when you have someone who is, for example, they're like in a half kneeling position and they've really drifted forward. And if you want to push their knee back or their shoulder back or their, or their hips back, you put your finger or your hand in the right place and you say, here's a taser, get away from my taser. And the reason I like this one is because there are certain clients that you might not want to touch, mm -hmm. like 17-year-old, 14-year-old girls. Yeah. And so this is like a tactile cue that's not a real tactile cue. You don't have to touch them, yes. but you still get them to move in the right place very, very quickly without having to overload them with thinking, like words that make them think. Yeah. Dude, that's such a great point too, because like you said, based on the person in front of you, you can't always use the same cue or you right. can't always use the same like analogy or like you said, like I love kinesthetic stuff, especially with athletes because they like to feel things. Yes. But yeah, it's totally different working with a 19 year old female versus working with a 30 year old soccer or basketball pro, right. you know, like you have to approach how you coach, how you cue them. And again, just kind of how you handle them, for lack of a better term, differently. Right, right. That's exactly right. Okay. So I, I'm really excited to hear your answer to this one. And you're going to have to give us the background story so it kind of fills in the blanks. But how does a guy that was once described as a, quote, cold son of a bitch, unquote, become someone that is warm, caring, and that quite literally pretty much everybody that came in, in contact with you loved working with? <laughs> okay. So the backstory here is I was in grad school in philosophy and I had this mentor professor in the philosophy department and she sat me down one day and said, there are two snap judgments that people make within milliseconds of meeting you. One is about your warmth and the other is about your competence. And obviously you are very competent, but you are a cold son of a bitch and it is going to affect your success in life. And I'd like to say that I like took this to heart and changed right away, but I was pretty insufferable for like the next five to 10 years. So <laughs> I, I don't know exactly how I changed. I think, you know, when my, when I became an intern at iFast, like it was day one, I had to go from being a philosophy grad student where I was just reading books and talking about esoteric ideas all the time to interacting with humans. And so that experience probably made me a better human more than any other, right? I right. just had to be there for the clients. And I don't know, I just flipped a switch where I came in the door and I said, you know what, I'm just going to go up to every client and introduce myself. Whereas before I would never have done that. Yeah. And it's, it's really interesting. Like if we ever have at iFast, if, if there was ever like a high school student who would shadow I would say, you know, there's like two rules. One, bring a notebook. And two, you have to introduce yourself to every client before they introduce themselves to you. And every client that introduces themselves to you first, you have to wash my car for a month. <laughs> I love and, that. And I get to pick the month. So it's like November. Right. So, you know, and it's amazing like how hard that is for, for people. And it was honestly, it was hard for me too. I just forgot how hard it was because that was nine years ago that I decided to do that. Right. So I think it was just the process of understanding that, you know, this industry is about helping other people. And if you're going to help people, it's, it has to be about them. Yeah. 
And that means you have to understand what life is like for them. You understand, you have to understand how their body feels. You have to understand how they think, how they understand the world. And I don't always succeed. Like I had my trigger clients, right? Like, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that I just couldn't see eye to eye with. Yeah. And I think everybody should be allowed like one. Sure. You should have like one trigger client. Where you're like, you know what? Maybe somebody else should coach you. Right. But if you have like 10, which I probably did at some point in my career, that's, that's like, that's you. Right. Like, <laughs> you were the problem. Yes. And so I, it was a slow process of coming to grips with like, this industry is not about me. It's not about how much I know. It's not about being the best coach in terms of being famous or whatever. It's, it's about how you can help the person in front of you. And that mindset more than anything helped me with everything else in life. Yeah. That's so interesting because I almost wanted to follow up because one thing that I talk about and you and I have discussed this numerous times is when it comes down to it at this point, if somebody's coming in to work at iFast and I have the person that's super charismatic, great people person, minimal X's and O's, right? If that's candidate one versus candidate two, which is all the X's and O's, read every book and they're like talking to a brick wall. I'm choosing number one. Every time. Every time. Yeah. Right. Because I look at number one is somebody like, look, it's so hard to teach people skills, but it's so easy in, in perspective to teach them technical skills. Right. Relatively so speaking. Yeah. Right. So you are on the opposite side of that. I mean, other than mindset, was there anything specific that you did to to level up your people skills? Because I can see this being a massive issue like and, and you and I have both seen it right with interns yeah, and people yeah. that are coming up super knowledgeable super smart, zero personality, zero yeah. people skills. So how can they level up those things so that they can be like really successful in our industry? Yeah, I think I'm going to give you like a weird Jay Chung answer. Which I'm okay with that. You, you probably have come to expect. So like the standard answer is you got to read like how to win friends and influence people. Sure. You got to read the body language books and all this stuff. And that's like, I've done that and it, it did help. But like I said, if you... If you can't get out of your own head and if you can't see the person in front of you, it's not it's not going to help necessarily to do all those techniques. Right. So the first book I would recommend is called How to Talk So Little Kids Will Listen. Mm. And it's about how to talk to like four to seven-year-old kids or something like that or 10-year-old kids. And, you know, having a two-and-a-half-year-old at home myself, he's amazing, but he's like completely unreasonable. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, and so the hard part is to actually get into his head and see the world from his perspective. Like if he's melting down because he wants mommy to do the bath instead of daddy. And he's like, I don't want daddy. Like I don't take it personally anymore. Right. I, I look at that and say, you know what? This is, this is somebody who either misses his mommy because she's at work all the time or he's just trying to like probe to see like how I'm going to react right. or whatever it is. And I just try to see why he's acting the way he's acting instead of saying, you're being a little whatever. Right. right. <laughs> and so if you can do that with the most unreasonable, irrational, sociopathic segment of the population, which is like three-year-olds or five-year-olds, then it's so much easier to do that with a 35-year-old. Sure. So I would recommend that book because it actually it totally changed the way I interact with my kids. And also the way I interact with adults. I love it, man. So even if you don't have kids, check it out. There's another one, a weird 
subtitle it's called after the honeymoon and it's like a it's like a marriage self-help book or it seems like it but it's amazing and it teaches you how to look for the hidden reasonableness in every seemingly unreasonable statement okay that, that your spouse or your friends or your clients might say so like i've had clients or like i'm gonna tell this story <laughs> so I had, after the birth of my first child, I had a client come up and be like, what are you going to do about vaccinations? And I was like, well, my wife is a pediatrician, so we're going to vaccinate our kids. And she said, there must be some pediatricians out there who aren't crazy. <laughs> and <laughs> yes. I just, I like couldn't even respond. I just walked away. And I was like really upset about that for a while. Sure. And like just thinking about where this person is coming from. You know, I don't know how they got there, but like they sincerely believe that vaccines are killing our children. Yes. Yeah, it's like the worst thing you could ever do. Yeah. And so out of this immense amount of love and concern for me and for my kids, she felt that she had to speak up. Right. At the risk of alienating our relationship. And that's brave. Right. Like I don't agree. But at yeah. least I can try to see where she was coming from. Yeah, that's a and, great point. Uh, yeah. So it, it, I still am not like 100% at peace with it. But <laughs> <laughs> that's like the kind of thought process that I think this book will help you achieve is just to like see if you can find the hidden reasonableness in every seemingly irrational thing that you hear from your clients. Man, that's great. And I'll make sure I put both of those books in the show notes. But Big question time, my friend. I know you know this is coming. If you could alter the space-time continuum and give young Jay Chung one piece of advice about training and or life, what would it be? Training would be like stop trying to chase a 500-pound deadlift because that's not going to happen. <laughs> like I just like put my th th myself through so many injuries and back pain. <laughs> which, like, uh, you know, some people are not, not meant to do that. Right. Life-wise, I would say to embrace looking stupid and to be brave and ask that stupid question when it comes up. Because I remember so many times where, you know, we would be sitting in the purple room and Bill would be talking about something and I would, I would be so afraid to ask this question. I'm like, I'm just, I just have to do it. And I, and I would ask it and he'd be like, that's a great question. Or I would not ask it and some intern or another coach would ask, and he would be like, "That's an amazing question." I'd be like, "Ah, I should have asked." Right. <laughs> and and even the even at times when it may not be a great question, like if you don't ask, then you're not going to learn. Yeah. And so I think somehow, for most of my life, I was more concerned with looking smart mm -hmm. than becoming smarter. Yes. And so I set myself back many many decades, I think, by being afraid to look stupid. By, by failing to embrace learning over looking smart. That is fantastic advice, dude. I absolutely love that. I'm writing that down because that's something everybody needs to hear. So last but not least, I want to take you through our lightning round. Okay. So okay. I got four, maybe five questions here because we've already kind of covered one or two of them. But first, what is the hardest part of moving to a new city? Wow. I feel like a complete hypocrite after talking about building rapport and everything, but it's like making friends. I suck yeah. at it. Like in the gym, like if I'm the coach and I've got clients coming in and I don't know them or they don't know anybody, I'm totally happy doing that. But like right. outside of the gym, it's like, it's so hard. It's pulling teeth. So 
that's the hardest part. I don't know. How do you make friends when you're like in your late thirties? I don't know, man. So I'm just, I'm just going to wait till my kids hit school and then I'll be forced to make friends with my (laughs) kids, friends, parents. Yes. Yes. (laughs) It it is funny how that becomes like a new social network, you know, or like the people around you. Like if you live in a neighborhood, how quickly that becomes may not be your, 100% 100% favorite social circle, but it's definitely a social circle you find yourself in a lot. Right, right. Number two, what's it like raising two kiddos under the age of three? Oh, it's fantastic. So for those people who don't know, we actually moved recently to Iowa and my wife is working. She makes all the money and I'm staying home with a two and a half year old and a five month old at the moment. And it is difficult, but it's fascinating. Like just seeing my daughter learn how to roll from, you know, in both directions in the last three days is is amazing. And I think I figured out why everybody thinks their kid is a genius. It's like, you know, like if you, if you like listen to my mom talk about me as a child, like I must've been the smartest person on the planet because (laughs) that's how she remembers me. Right. Yes. And I think it's because like you see these kids from like, they can't do anything. And yeah, they slowly build skill by skill. And it's just so amazing to you and to no other p- person on the planet. But yeah. it's, it's really cool to, to be there for that. It's just fascinating to, to see all the little improvements. Like every, every day, my son can speak in more and more complex sentences and he can jump. And like, it's, it's really cool, man. Yeah. What I always tell people, too, is you're shocked because in our world, what's a day, right? Like, what is one day mm-hmm. versus when you've got a little kid? I mean, Depending on the day, you can see, like you said, now your daughter's rolling. Your Mm -hmm. child, I mean, your son at like two and a half, they can look markedly different. I feel like in a day, you're like, wow, like, did this guy grow? Like, is his head bigger? You know, it's like just the things you pick up on again, if you're kind of tuned in. So, so we'd already talked number three about interpersonal skills. So I don't want to talk about that. What I would love to hear instead, because you are definitely an interesting human being. Talk to me. Give me one of your best Peace Corps stories. Oh, man. Let's go in the Wayback Machine. <laughs> First off, where where were you, okay, when, you right. when you were in so the Peace Corps? I was in Mauritania, which is in the Sahara Desert. So if you look at Africa, you see Morocco and the northwest corner. And then just south of that is the Sahara Desert and south of that is Senegal. So those are like the two countries that people know. Mm-hmm. And everything in between is the Sahara Desert and nobody lives there. And that's Mauritania. So apparently the French colonized Morocco and Senegal and then held on to the stuff in between for military purposes. Yeah. That's, that's what some people told me. I don't know if that's true. So I was, a, I was an English teacher. You know, so I show up for work on the first day of school and there are no students. And <laughs> there is a guy in the middle of the courtyard like banging in on some wood. So I go into the principal's office and I ask what's going on. Why, where are my students? Where's my class? And he's like, oh, we can't have class because essentially the previous principal embezzled the entire school's budget and left and <laughs> sold some of the desks. Wow. So not only did we have no money, we had no desks. Like we had, we're missing like some desks. So there was a carpenter building desks in the middle of the courtyard. Oh my God. So I'm like, all right, like, when are we going to start? And he's like, ah, maybe like six weeks. So <laughs> school was delayed for six weeks while this happened. So then like 
he didn't say six weeks. He's like, oh, it'll start like in a couple of days. But uh, it, like eventually it was like six weeks because then there was Ramadan. Oh, and yeah. Ramadan is the month of fasting. And the way it works in Mauritania is because it's a it's an Islamic republic. Everybody is by law Muslim. If you're born there, you're Muslim. Right. So if you're fasting, you don't really go to school in the afternoons. And if you don't really go to school in the afternoons, why show up for your classes in the mornings if you live in a small town like I did where education is not really serious, right? If, right. if your parents cared about your education, they would have sent you off to live with cousins in a regional capital hmm. where the schooling is a little bit better. So the kicker to this story is that I found out that the principal who had embezzled the school's budget had actually been promoted to state inspectors of schools. Like he was wow. hired by the Department of Education to go around and inspect schools because that's the way it works is you steal some money, you bribe the person ahead of you, and then you get ahead in life. And wow. It's amazing like how, yeah, you just don't think about that from from life in the States, man. That's crazy. Yeah. That's crazy. See, and I feel like I learned something about you today. <laughs> That's awesome, man. All right. Last but not least, number four, what's next for Jay Chung? I'm supposedly I am writing a book. I'm going to try to take the how to flirt with your clients presentation and turn it into a book form. Bill Hartman has been amazing as a mentor and he is like hounding me to write it. And I feel like I can't let him down. So it's going to be short. It's going to be uh, hopefully fun to read. Yeah. I'm going to have to get it out before Bill comes knocking on my door. Do you have a tentative timeline? Not to add uh, more pressure to this. But. <laughs> I'd like to be done with the first draft in like a few months. Awesome. I don't know. Awesome. It's, it's, really, it, the problem is not the writing. The problem is like writing around the kids' schedules. Yes. Yes. Does Lucas still take naps? He does, right? Yeah. yeah. So Nap time, man. Helpful. That hour and a half. Well, the is, problem is I got to get my my daughter on the same nap schedule. Yeah, so that's, that's true. The, that's the battle at the moment. But I'm working on it. I'm yes. I'm just going to drug them so I can write. Like, <laughs> sacrifices must be made in the name of great art. That's right. That's true, man. Well, Jay, you've been awesome to catch up with today, my friend. Where can my listeners find out more about you or what you have going on? <laughs> I'm like famously like allergic to Facebook. And social media. So I am on Facebook. I'm sure that if you were listeners, I, I just feel like your listeners that want to contact me are gonna all gonna be like young potential interns and coaches, like young young kids. Yes. So if they want to contact me, like it'll be like some a bit of homework for them to figure out how to do so. Oh, I like that. I like um, that. But I will not put I, any links. <laughs> if you but, can find Jay, then you get to talk to him. It's like a yes. like a scavenger hunt. It's not like I don't want to make friends and network with people, but I, I feel like like nobody more important than me is like, oh, I got to really find Jay Chung and talk to him, right? <laughs> <laughs> never know, so, man. You never yeah, know. That's true. You never know. That's true. But if there are people out there who want to talk to me that are more important than me, I'll, I'll trust you to put me in contact with them. That sounds good. I will be your gatekeeper. So thank you. Thank you. Again, Jay, thanks so much for coming on the show, man. This was great to catch up. Thank you so much. It's been an honor to have worked for you. It was, you know, IFAS was really home for me and I miss it tremendously. I miss the clients. I miss the coaches and the interns. So thank you so much for all that you've done for me. And I, I can't express my gratitude enough. Thanks, man.
All right, my friend, that does it for this week's show with Jay. Sincerely hope you enjoyed it. I mean, this is just a guy, I can't say enough good things about him. Really such a rock for us at IFAST for nearly seven years, worked that AM shift, and just super happy to see where he's at now in life. Two little ones. I know they're keeping him busy, but uh, man, it's only a matter of time. I can't wait until Jay Chung is terrorizing clients on somebody else's gym floor in Des Moines, Iowa in the near future. So if you enjoyed this week's show, please do me a favor, share it with anybody that might benefit from it, whether it's another trainer, another coach, any social media avenues you have, whatever you can do to help spread the love, I would greatly appreciate it. And my friend, as always, thank you so much for your support. Love and appreciate you. And we will be back soon with our next episode. Take care.